Binge Mode is brought to you by DirecTV Now. Live stream your favorite channels on virtually any device. Plus, you can subscribe to HBO and start watching Game of Thrones today. What do you see? Adult content. Keep looking. I see adult content that people might be offended by. What do you see? I see binge mode. The binge mode. I see that if people are offended by adult content, they shouldn't listen to binge mode. But if they like the show Game of Thrones, they should listen to it. Do you believe me now, Clegane? Do you believe we're here for a reason? Here we all are. At the edge of the world. At the same moment. Heading in the same direction for the same reason. Our reasons aren't your reasons. It doesn't matter what we think our reasons are. There's a greater purpose at work. And we serve it together. Hello! Yeah! And welcome to Binge Mode. Woo! <laughs> I'm Mallory Rubin, deputy editor of the relaunch ringer.com. Come check it out. Joining me today, now that he's finished mansplaining while I'm trying to share vital annulment intel that some people have quite literally been waiting 21 years to hear. It's Ringer staff writer and your maester, Jason Concepcion. Hello! Jason. Yeah. We can all become slavering, murderous imbeciles and thrall to evil incarnate as long as we can have access to the full recordings. High Septon Maynard's 15,782 shits. Step smell. It was, that was the number of steps. Oh, sorry. It's hard to pay attention when there's this much going on in an episode, you know? Yeah. Guys, if you're new to Binge Mode, proudly part of the Ringer Podcast Network, we have episode breakdowns of all 64 previous Game of Thrones installments waiting for you to listen to during your next carriage ride back north. And we're keeping our Thrones discussion going throughout Season 7. We're deep diving one episode at a time, one week at a time. Speculation warning as always. Even though we no longer know what the future holds, we will still be going deep on details from the show and the books alike. We're going to discuss the scenes for the upcoming episode. We're going to share our predictions. We're going to speculate pretty freely about theories and future happenings. But... What will we never do, Jason? Never, ever, ever will we traffic in leaks. Never. Keep that shit away from us, people. So hit that library. Grab some reading for the road. Which ones should I pick of the millions of books here? Just the five that you can reach. (laughs) Those should be the right ones, probably. Right. It's time to break down. Season seven, episode five, the divisive, Mm. and that's putting it mildly, Eastwatch. Jason, yes, we fight and die, or we submit and die. I know my choice. Yeah. Soldier should know his. So let's offer up a brief refresher on what actually happened in this stuffed, some might say too stuffed, we would say too stuffed, episode by taking a quick trip down our very own King's Road. On the banks of the Blackwater Rush, Braun pulls in. Armor-clad Jamie out of the extremely deep, deep river. They walk to King's Landing and they get all the way there because Danny didn't post any scouts or send any of her 
thousands of Dothraki <laughs> after them. Famously easy to swim in armor, too. It's, it is, with a metal <laughs> hand. I've done it many times. <laughs> Danny issues an ultimatum. Bend the knee or die. And she won't kin, folks. She executes Lord Tarly and Tricky Dickon with Dragonfire, the surviving soldiers from the Loot Train. Loot Bend train. that knee. Bend it. I don't think Randall and Dickon get bells. What do no, they get? I mean, uh, a fire-breathing dragon sound? Jakaris. Dickon. Dickon. The Dickon. name Dickon <laughs> almost deserves bells. North of the Wall. Using the eyes of a flock of ravens, Bran getting his skin-changing game on sees, uh-oh, the army of the dead marching on Eastwatch. He speaks to Maester Wolken and sends ravens out to warn the entire realm. On Dragonstone, Danny, back from the loot train loot attack. train. <laughs> Great. Lands Drogon in front of John, like mm-hmm. right in front of him, like six feet in front of him. And they share a moment. They share an interesting bonding moment. The dragon and the blood of the dragon. This was beautiful. It was truly beautiful. And a thing that uh, Danny made a weird face about and then didn't acknowledge in any way <laughs> when she got off the dragon. And then as she and John are chatting, who should walk up? Is that Mal's husband's music? <laughs> It is, and he looks great he in really his new outfit. New armor. He got like a tra- changed his hairstyle a little bit. He looks leaner. He looks good. Looks strong, yeah. as she says. He, you look strong. Anyway, Varys later in the throne room asks Tyrion to talk sense into Danny. Stop her from following in the footsteps of her father. You must talk sense into her. Meanwhile, what the fuck has Varys been doing all this time? Great question. Literally nothing. Great question. Bran's letter reaches Dragonstone. John realizes now that Bran and Arya are alive. He intends to sail north. And then Tyrion. Ah, the light bulb shining over his head. Light bulbs do not exist in this world, but yet it has appeared over his head. He has come up with the dumbest plan yet? Yes. The dumbest plan. Go yet. north, kidnap a white, take it to Cersei. Prophet? Uh, Jorah, who has spent the last X amount of episodes uh, conquering an incurable disease (laughs) and uh, literally putting himself into slavery to reach Danny, is like, yeah, it's been nice seeing you, but I'm going to go north. (laughs) Not to be outdone, King John says that he'll lead the whole shebang, and Danny looks particularly pained. Mm. A lot of stupid shit happened in there. Can't wait to talk about it more. In King's Landing. Yeah. Lots of stupid shit happening here, too, it turns out. Jamie arrives back in the what capital. A walk. What a long walk for this guy. A leisurely stroll. Yeah. He tells Cersei that they cannot win the war. That was one dragon. Yeah. She's got three. And he also shares another bit of information Olena's confession. She was the one who murdered Joffrey. Cersei has some news of her own. Yeah, big news. She's got a bun in the oven. She does. You can tell by the way she was touching her belly. Little little incest baby cooking. Or maybe not. We'll speculate a little bit about that later. Jamie says, who will you tell people (laughs) fathered this child? She says, you, you And Chris silly. Ryan sheds a tear for his favorite love story you, of all you time. Silly. And she gives him a little little light punch on the chin. Ah, sweet stuff. Love is beautiful. <laughs> Meanwhile, Davos smuggles Tyrion into the city in 
broad fucking daylight. Sure. Sure. (laughs) Within sight of the castle. Yeah. (laughs) Tyrion meets Jamie in the dungeon full of dragon skulls where, trademark, Big Crossbow was born. (laughs) (laughs) Proposes a truce. Guys, can't we all just get along for a little while? Davos, meanwhile, visits the street of steel. And I will say, street of steel, just one more reminder that George would not have called it loot train attack. (laughs) He is so good at naming shit. It is actually incredible. It's amazing. There, on the street of steel, Davos finds his, quote, surrogate son. (laughs) Yes. I've had longer conversations with uh, Lyft drivers. Davos and Gendry event in the past. Watch some of the post-episode commentary for uh, insight on why Davos considers Gendry a surrogate son after one conversation about fucking women. And Davos then enlists Gendry into cause. Gendry's ready, guys. He's got a fresh buzz cut. And more importantly, he has a hammer. A hammer! Gods. He looks strong. He does look strong. Most importantly of all, I think it's fair to say, we discover mm. the invigorating powers of fermented crap. That's right. Jamie tells Cersei about Danny's offer, and Cersei shocks us a little bit. She's yeah. not like, wait, what? She's like, yeah. actually, I've been thinking about this. Also, I knew about your meeting with Tyrion. I know about everything. She kind of obliquely threatens Bronn, who set up Jamie's meeting with Tyrion, and kind of threatens Jamie yeah. too. It's the Citadel, Old Town. Ebro's in the morning, and the rest of the Archmaesters hand wave Bran's letter. Sam, who uh, is in the room stacking books, tries to vouch for Bran, but to very little effect. Ebro says he will write to Maester Wolken for clarification on this issue. Gilly discovers that Rhaegar annulled his marriage and secretly <laughs> married another. A.K.A. Lyanna Stark, making John their legitimate son. Kind of big news. Sam Kinda. is like, ah, will you just be quiet right now? <laughs> and a hard day at work. The Archmaester won't listen to me. So I quit. And he steals books and leaves because reasons. We're going to be talking about that for like six hours. Okay. Oh, boy. Winterfell. The Lords of the North and the Vale are, as usual, Complaining, Sansa hears them out. She thinks it's her responsibility to do so, but in Arya's estimation, Sansa is not doing enough to defend Jon when Jon's bannermen are critical of him. Arya, antenna raised, yeah. shadows Littlefinger, who is clearly up to something, whispering with blonde women That's in the right. kennels. You can tell he's up to something because he's alive and awake. <laughs> <laughs> she... Follows him to his chambers. And then, after witnessing Maester Wolken hand him a scroll, she breaks into his room, finds the mystery letter. What is it? Ah! Glad you asked, guys. It's the scroll that Cersei made Sansa write in season one to send to Robin Cat about Ned. Well, we see Littlefinger watching Arya leave his room, so it's not hard to deduce that this is what Littlefinger wanted. He hoped that she would make this discovery. In Eastwatch, for the first time on the far edge of the world, on the far edge of the wall, John and the adventurers arrive. 
is the water luckily not frozen right next to East Watch. There's no ice there. No ice. Don't worry <laughs> about it. They sail right up. They pick up the hound, Thoros and Beric, already in East Watch's jail. The seven men, plus those dudes dragging the sled, who you know for sure are definitely going to fucking die. 100%. 100% going to die. Set off to capture a white. Mel? Yeah. There are no easy choices in war, and that gets us to this episode's big idea. So let's cut right to the core by sticking with the point. And the defining theme of this episode is desperation. Uh, desperation, hanging on in quiet desperation. It's not just the English way; it's everyone's way. Let's talk about plans. Let's talk about Tyrion, Jamie, Bronn, and Varys, and the southern branch of the unfolding plan to. Face the threat of the White Walkers, among other things. Uh, it turns out, in the case of Tyrion, running King's Landing is quite a bit simpler than managing a combined air, sea, and land invasion of yeah. Westeros, an entire continent. Not his strong suit. No. I mean, yes, the capital was under siege by Stannis' forces and Tyrion's accomplishments there uh, should not in any way be understated. He saved the city. He saved the realm. You know, an assist from Tywin, but he did. But we're talking about just one location. Tyrion could focus all his attentions on the city. He knew Stannis was coming from the sea. He knew what gate Stannis was likely to attack. Contrast that with now. Tyrion is tasked with managing an array of military forces spread widely across the continent. Once, you know, like at the beginning of this season, Tyrion's various gaffes could be chalked up to the rigors of a new, more complex and faster-paced job. Mm-hmm. Um, sure, Marine was kind of a cock up for him, but there were mitigating circumstances. Danny had disappeared. He was fresh in the job. He was in a foreign land. He speaks Valerian like someone. New city, you know? New city. And he doesn't speak the language, or at least he speaks it like extremely poorly. People like, think you want to eat their babies. Yeah, I mean, that's a small Hard thing. Hard to adjust. Uh, plus, you know, a small thing, but he was constantly drunk. Uh, <laughs> So some mistakes here and there were probably inevitable, unfortunately for everyone, but in particular Yara Greyjoy, Ilaria Martell, and the Sand Snakes. Tyrion's losing streak has blossomed into a full-blown crisis after a season of bad plans. It is truly alarming that Tyrion has now authored a plan that is just insane bad. <laughs> it's really bad. It's And reeks... Strongly of desperation. And why shouldn't he be desperate, by the way? Danny has already dressed Tyrion down in front of everyone, in front of people that are not even part of their army, of their group, of in front of John and Davos. John is technically a, a rebel, and Davos is his hand. A few more fuck ups like the one that got a large portion of Danny's fleet destroyed and her best naval commander thrown in chains. And Tyrion should probably expect a session with an executioner or maybe uh, a meeting with Drogon's <laughs> mouth. Uh, so what's he doing proposing a new and infinitely worse plan is essentially he's shooting a shot. Maybe the only shot that he thinks he has. He also seems genuinely afraid and you can't can't understate the way that influences his decision-making. Yeah. He's scared of what he's seeing from Danny. Yes. And the way he walks at the opening of the episode through the battlefield, surveying the damage done to men that were sworn to his family, um, the look on his face as she's burning the Tarleys after he begged her to send Randall to the wall and said, 
And think about what Danny says. I know what Cersei has told you, that I've come to destroy your cities, burn down your homes, murder you and orphan your children. That's Cersei Lannister, not me. I'm not here to murder. And all I want to destroy is the wheel that is rolled over rich and poor to the benefit of no one but the Cersei Lannisters of the world. She's not currently on a path to being better than her father, at least at least beyond the sense that she's at least thinking about not burning people. <laughs> right. She's... There's that. She's going to burn them. Yeah. But she's like, maybe it's a bad idea. Right. But if, you, if you give over your life to me, maybe I won't. <laughs> yeah, maybe I won't. So she's giving the maybe there is a very fine distinction, but it is one. But clearly that has to concern all the people that have aligned with her. So what to do? Keep Danny from burning people for a little while. <laughs> yeah. Shift the attention elsewhere. After Danny tells John that she can't lend him support in his fight against the Night King because, quote, as soon as I march out, she'll march in. Tyrion tells her, Cersei thinks the army of the dead is nothing but a story made up by wet nurses to frighten children. What if we prove her Don't wrong? Don't you fucking talk about old Nan that way. <laughs> Old Nan was a treasure. John <laughs> says, I don't think she'll come to see the dead on my invitation. Tyrion says, so bring the dead to her. And he continues, we don't have to bring the whole army. Only one soldier. Ah, you make it sound so easy. So easy. So easy. Uh, and Davos, is that possible? And then I guess we, we should intimate from that that, that Davos is presumably referencing the magical wards? Like, can you even bring them through? Is Do you think that's what he's doing? Because certainly you could go and grab one. Put it this way. In theory. I hope someone's wondering <laughs> right? about that. I hope. They someone better should be. be. Someone better be. And certainly John's uh, response seems to uh, bolster that thought. The first white I ever saw was brought into Castle of Black from beyond the wall, he says. And remember, uh, those two men had not yet turned. Right. So they were not technically undead yet. Right. Um, and Tyrion says, bring one of these things down to King's Landing and show her the truth. This is a desperate plan. This is a foolish plan. Yes. This is a crazy plan. The first part of the plan, go kidnap a white from the Night King's army, is essentially a suicide mission. The second part, convince Cersei, is actually harder. It's insane. She's and unnecessary. Unnecessary. She isn't trustworthy. One. Let's start with the basic facts of the matter. She's not trustworthy. And anyway, who cares about winning Cersei's support? A good portion of her army is currently wafting through the air around Blackwater Rush in the form of ashes. Uh, what support she does have is really unclear. Just fly Drogon over the Red Keep and melt the castle down to the foundation. Thus sparing the the bulk of the civilian population from death. It would probably take like a day, you know, and then march on the city, secure the south, head north to fight the Night King. Drogon's a really good listener. He's great. Targets those bursts right where, he's, where and when mommy he's says. very good. She only has to whisper. And he does what she wants. Better than Milton, Mike Corgi, who doesn't listen to me at all. Aww. Varys brings up a decent point, which is... To be fair, more than he's done basically all season, except for when he delivered the news about Yara's fleet. He says, anything you bring back will be useless unless Cersei grants us an audience and is somehow convinced not to murder us the moment we set foot in the capital. Ah! Tyrion thought this through, guys. He says, the only person she listens to is Jamie. Actually, she really does not she fucking- She doesn't listen to anyone. She doesn't listen to Jamie. No. Jamie's like, should we really be telling people that I'm the father? Yes. <laughs> 
uh, hey, I wanted to bring up a blowjob. Like, it's just, she just does <laughs> what she wants. Don't open the door, I'm naked in your bed. Right. We need new sheets. We need new sheets. Bring them in. She just does what she wants. Uh, Tyrion continues, he might listen to me in Davos's. They all look at Davos, like, as when the topic of, well, how are you going to get there right. comes up. Aha, Davos. He says, I can smuggle you in, but if the gold cloaks were to recognize you, fucking LOL. If the gold, we'll get to this in a bit. If the gold cloaks were to recognize you, how would they do that? Anyway, I'm warning you. Surely, Davos, you wouldn't put him in position to be recognized by bringing him in in the middle of the day. I'm warning you. Not a fighter. He says this a lot. Davos, you're a hype man. Believe in yourself, bud. Jamie is also extremely desperate. He knows that Cersei's position is untenable. And when he returns to King's Landing uh, after his long walk, it's just a stroll. He tells her of the destruction of the <laughs> army by the Dothraki. You do! It's a stressful life. Especially when you almost drown. Uh, he tells her about the destruction of the army by the Dothraki and just one of Danny's dragons. He says, I saw the Dothraki fight, he tells her. They'll beat any mercenary army. They'll beat any army I've ever seen. Killing our men wasn't war for them. It was sport. Her dragon burnt a thousand wagons. Kyburn, Kyburn, Kyburn Scorpion fired bolts bigger than you. They couldn't stop it. And she has three of them. This isn't a war we can win. Cersei, you know, as... How many big crossbows do you have, though, guys? <laughs> I think they only have the one. You got to build two. How hard is it to build two big cross, three, four? Like, just have guys work on that. <laughs> they are, Jason, really big, though. Really big That's crossbow. the thing. You have to, we have to stress, big. <laughs> if you look at a normal scorpion... It has to be bigger. Remember when Big Crossbow was the dumbest thing in an episode, though? Oh, man. Those were the days. (laughs) Salad days. Um, Cersei is everyone, but apparently Tyrion, who only grew up with her and has experienced her personality his entire life, seems to know, is not one to listen to reason, logic, or really anything but her own sense of rage and lust for revenge. Um, She will fight it out. To the end, with spit and rage and fingernails if she has to, before she even considers bending the knee. Not for a second. She won't do it. She will not do it. It will be war, and it will be a desperate war that they will surely lose. So when Bronn leads him down to the Dragon Skull's room to train, quote unquote, Jamie is like, why are we doing this? You know, we're wasting time. We need to prepare for a siege, he tells Bronn, just as the lovable sellsword brings him face to face with his long estranged brother Tyrion, who... You'll recall, Darian. <laughs> Darian, who murdered his father with a crossbow. And the shock on Jamie's face is really one of the best things about this episode. One one true good thing about this episode, a lot of incredible facial expressions. Great. That moment from Jamie, his response to Cersei's pregnancy reveal, just the way his face yeah. moves, the eyebrows lift. Yeah. John's face when he's interacting with Drogon. Jorah's face when he looks back at Danny. Ugh. Danny's face when she Danny, looks at both her dudes. Danny, we'll probably talk about this. A lot later. of good face acting. Danny it, looks great. They're lighting does. her differently. They've like really, as you mentioned to me previously, they are really playing up the Valerian hair and that's that the way her hair. eyes pop yeah. and like they're putting some kind of like just when she's talking to John on the beach, it's like wow. <laughs> <laughs> and it looks good. Yeah. yeah, I was too busy looking at. John yeah, and Jorah in those respective scenes so, to notice. Well, it's, when it's a one-shot, you know. Tyrion's mere presence in that dungeon, surrounded, as many people on Twitter pointed out, by dragon skulls, yep. 
a huge air horn signals twirling desperate desperate act and some might even call it the madness of mercy this is an idea that has been prevalent throughout the entire show what brought ned down the madness of mercy Tyrion is in King's Landing. He's standing there having that conversation with Jamie, who wants him dead, who right. told Ron, if I ever see him again, I'll cut him in half, which Jamie goes out of his way to share with Tyrion in that moment. He's there because he wants to help save the realm from the White Walkers, of course, sure, yes. But he's there, as we already said, because he wants to kind of get Danny to cool it on right. the burning people thing for a minute, shift the attention elsewhere. But... Also, and perhaps even primarily, he's there because he wants desperately to salvage his relationship with Jamie and to repay the life debt that he owes Jamie for springing him from the dungeons on the eve of his execution back in season four. When Tyrion is watching Jamie charge toward Danny during the spoils of war, you see the torture. Yeah on his face. He loves his brother. Their relationship is a beautiful thing. It's one of the interesting things about this episode. Allison Herman noted this in her recap for us, that a scene like this, a moment like this, in many other episodes of Game of Thrones would have been what the episode was about. And this kind of actual heartfelt human exchange can get really lost in the aggressive pacing and plotting that's happening around it. But there's a lot of very real hurt and heartache and history at play here. Why else would Tyrion be facing danger in such a foolish way? He knows that Cersei literally wants his head. He is probably the most recognizable person in the world. Davos, famed smuggler and a person who's widely known, he can at least walk the streets of the capital because white man in his 50s is a description that you know, his severed fingers notwithstanding matches, like, basically everyone else in the realm. Tyrion can be easily ID'd. He knows this. We're looking for an adult dwarf. Blonde hair, ragged facial scar, likes to drink, probably dressed really nicely. Like, not too many people are going to meet that description. And he's in the, literally in the lion's (laughs) den right. right here. And now Tyrion is walking right up to that danger, under Cersei's nose and thousands of people who would love to kill him and would likely recognize him all around him. Why is he doing this? Well, he says to Jamie, I needed to see you. Need. Not want. Need. And look, as foolish as these choices are, that is a very basic, fundamental human thing. Sometimes you need to see people you care about, even if it's not the right thing to do. And that's what Tyrion is experiencing right now. I knew you'd never agree to meet I found that line refreshing because it shows that Tyrion hasn't completely lost his grasp on reality. Jamie would never have agreed to that, not in his current situation. He goes on to kind of, you know, trying to butter him up a little bit, compliment his wartime prowess. You made me look like a complete fool. I thought I'd surprise you by hitting Casterly Rock, but you were three steps ahead of me. Abandoned the family home, completely unsentimental. Father would have been proud. Whoops. Ah, Tyrion. (laughs) Tyrion. Tyrion. (laughs) Don't mention Tywin. Bit of a sore spot for you and Jamie right now. And Jamie says, don't talk about father. And then he shares the detail that we already mentioned about how he told Bronn that if he ever saw Tyrion again, he'd cut him in half. Ultimately, after some cursory relitigating, but also sort of touching an emotional discussion of the past, Tyrion gets to the point. Danny will win this war. 
You're a military man, he says to Jamie. You must know there's no way around that. Daenerys is not her father. She's even willing to suspend (laughs) hostilities if Cersei agrees to terms. And Jamie says, you want Cersei to bend the knee? Go ask her yourself, bud. Tyrion says, I don't. Daenerys doesn't. (laughs) Danny needed like 400 people to tell her 8,000 times that there was something more important to focus on in this one exact moment to even allow Jon to leave the room. Not quite the same as saying, I don't need Cersei to bend the knee. He goes on, not right now, anyway. She has a more important request, and then presum- we don't see the rest of this right. exchange, but presumably he lays out the dire and the desperate stakes, the army of the dead marching on the wall, all of humanity lying in the balance. Whether Jamie is truly swayed by what he hears is, is almost beside the point, because just by hearing Tyrion out, knowing how Cersei would feel about the fact that he's even willing to let a word come out yeah. of his brother's mouth yeah. in his presence. Yeah, stabbing him in the... Neck. Exactly. That's a measure of Jamie's desperation. That bond meant a lot to Jamie, too. And Jamie also is trying desperately to keep the Lannister family alive, to keep himself alive, to keep Cersei alive, to keep their house going. He doesn't feel good about the chances of doing that through battle. He's made that very clear. What other option might they have? If Jamie were anyone else but Cersei's twin brother, lover, the father of her children, including. We hope nope. the one that she's now carrying. He'd be dead. Uh, yes. And he has to know that. So when he brings this to her and she's like, you didn't think I knew you met? Nothing right. here happens without me knowing. And is pretty harsh to him, pretty yeah. rude, a little belittling. Certainly. Cersei and Jamie have a couple really charged conversations in this episode. And in one of them, she says to him, so we fight and die or we submit and die. I know my choice. A soldier should know his. You know, those are the words of a woman who doesn't really feel like she has a lot left to lose. Her entire life, of course, was about protecting her children. What will happen now that there's another one on the way? How will that change her mindset? That's going to be one of the interesting questions to watch play out over the next couple episodes of this season. But We should not lose sight of the fact that what you said earlier is true. She's not actually interested in compromising her intentions at all. all. So the fact that when Jamie comes to her with this, she says, you know, I've actually been thinking. I've been chewing on this. and You know, maybe like a temporary peace with the Dragon Queen is like exactly what we need. She doesn't mean that. And she at least, to her credit, is transparent with Jamie. She wants to trick Danny. This is all a game to Cersei. It's always all been a game. Let's never, ever forget that one of the signature lines in the entire show came from our girl. (laughs) When you play the Game of Thrones, you win or you die. She knows that there's no in-between. The Northern Plan, John, Gendry, Davos, Jorah, Thoris, Beric, Torment, and the Hound. John has been acting out of desperation since, I mean, you would argue pretty much the moment we see him joining the Night's Watch sacrificing comfort in any hope of a lasting relationship and a family to stand alongside criminals and castoffs to guard the realms of men from starving people uh, in the hopes of basically winning his father's asterisk acceptance is surely an act of desperation. I mean, listen, he could have stuck around Winterfell and Ned would have broken him off some land and a little house somewhere. And maybe one day told him something. Yeah, maybe he He didn't he didn't need to join the Night's Watch. He did it because he wanted to 
have Ned be proud of him and accept him like as a true Stark. Remember what Tyrion says to him in the second episode of season one, a bastard boy with nothing to inherit off to join the ancient order of the Night's Watch alongside his valiant brothers in arms. That was a quip, but there is a lot of truth in that. Agreeing to a plan that requires you to kill your sworn brother, Corrin Halfhand, to go undercover with wildlings was an act of pure desperation. You don't like that's that's a crazy plan. And that's purely desperate act. Breaking your vows with the enemy. I mean, it's yeah, it's great. But... <laughs> <laughs> that uh, felt good. It did. I think the only desperate thing there Woo! was the the tightness and <laughs> John's groin. Yeah, desperately tight. The stones <laughs> desperately swollen. Climbing the wall was an act of desperation. Holding the said wall against yes. um, hundred thousand wildlings with only a handful of men was an act of desperation. Going to hard home. Letting the wildlings settle the gift was an act of desperation. Fighting the Battle of the Bastards, riding out in front of his troops to face death alone a thousand times over is just another higher level of desperation. But it was a nakedly desperate act all the same. Sailing south at Danny's invitation, sailing to Eastwatch, unprepared under man and against all odds, is objectively more acts of desperation. The thing that's different now is the people around John are just coming to his own level of desperation they right. understand the lateness of the hour now maybe yes. not as fully as john does who as he will tell you has looked into the night king's <laughs> eyes surely not as much as john but they're beginning to understand and this makes a kind of sense john has never had anything to lose ever except his life and he's always been more than willing to place that on the line it took quite some time for the people around him to get to that point gendry uh, he's desperate too, just for something, really anything to do. Being like a workaday dude on the street of steel, as it turns out, is pretty fucking boring. Not even the ever-present threat of the Lannister gold cloak showing up and being like, you there, you're Robert Brathian's bastard. It's time to uh, face the executioner's well, We axe. know that because you're holding a <laughs> hammer that's and, a clear replica of your father's and, and has you Baratheon look, antlers and on it. you look just like him. And also... Uh, this other guy, Gendry, once worked at this exact on this exact street, and we were looking for him. Blah blah blah. Uh, young G could not wait to quit his job the second Davos came back into his life. He had the hammer ready. Davos says, "Yeah, safety is never a permanent state of affairs. Bad things are coming." Gendry says, you "Came to get me. You want me to come with you?" Davos says, "Well, one thing you need to understand is I'm ready. Let's go." And Davos is like, well, you should let me tell you what we're doing. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you think I've been thinking about with every swing of the hammer? How happy I am to be making weapons for the family that killed my father? Gendry, Gendry just wants to get out of town. Hit like, him with the hammer. Hit him with the hammer. He wants to have some fun. Speaking of Davos, how desperate must this guy be to agree to smuggle Tyrion, the most recognizable man in the known world, into King's Landing in broad freaking daylight within sight of the Red Keep? Within arrow shot of the Red Keep. After all, this is a man whose reputation, his entire reputation, the reason that he is famous is because he slipped into Storm's End during Robert's Rebellion at night to bring relief to the starving defenders of Storm's End and thus earning Stannis' gratitude. He used muffled oars. He had a boat that was painted all black. He, he can do that kind of thing. He's a veteran nighttime sailor. Why make for King's Landing in the middle of the day? I mean, the only thing I could think of is perhaps Euron's prowess at sea is so fearsome. Right. Um, he did, after all, zero on Yara's capital ship just as some shit was about to go down. Though, of course, 
the foreign invasion was underway. Yeah, it was underway. It, of course, though, that point raises a, another just tangential small sure. point that's still worth saying, which is like, where is Euron? Where is he? To spend so much time early in the season building up his character where and his importance and then not have him in the last couple episodes where or even clearly, he? clearly remind us of where yes. he is. Where was Theon? He went back to Dragonstone. He was like, I need Danny's help with something. And then he's just not yeah, around. Yeah, he's gone. Stuff is really strange. It's really strange. And, and by the way, like back to Tyrion, couldn't they have disguised this guy? Like, does he have to wear his like hand of the queen get up? Like... <laughs> The fine robe and the doublet and the boots and everything. Can't they just like. No, they yeah, all have those like matching uniforms. Yeah, so <laughs> you're, uh, you're either on the team or you're not. <laughs> then there's the Brothers Without Banner Boys, Thoros and Beric. They're heading north of the wall quite simply because their god told them to. Right. R'hllor, Grace Thoros, a notorious drunken womanizer who never much cared for religion um, before the War of the Five Kings, except for in the way that it could help him get drunk and like neck deep in vagina. <laughs> R'hllor graced that guy with the breath of life. This guy who was not particularly worthy of it. How desperate must things be that the Lord of Light would trust one such as he with the power to conquer death? Thoros and Beric honor that gift the only way they know how, by trusting in the visions they see in the flames. Uh, let's remember what Beric said in the season seven premiere when the Hound asked why the Lord of Light keeps bringing him back. You think I don't ask myself that every hour of every day? Why am I here? What am I supposed to do? What does the Lord of Light see in me? And he continues... I don't know what he wants from me. I only know that he wants me alive. Ironically, and not at all convincingly, it was the <laughs> hound whose vision in the hearth supplied the direction that Beric and Thoros needed. The hound says, and here I'm kind of combining a bunch of his lines. The hound is looking into the flames and he says, ice, a wall of ice, the wall. It's where the wall meets the sea. There's a castle there. There's a mountain. Looks like an arrowhead. The dead are marching past, thousands of them. And Beric says, do you believe me now, Clegane? Do you believe we're here for a reason? And that's what brought them to Eastwatch, the vision that a formerly unrepentant killer saw in the flames. Um, flames, by the way, which he was quite recently terrified of. Emphasis on formerly unrepentant. The hound has mellowed since his brush with mm -hmm. death after Brienne beat that ass. Tossed him off a cliff. Had about two inches of his femur sticking out of his thigh. Tormund uh, and the hound are really going to get to do some Brienne-centric oh bonding. Oh my God. There's a lot of respect there. And something else. Certainly, he's he's developed a sense of remorse now since his time recuperating with Brother Swearing and Cocksucker and his peaceable flock of adherence to the faith. May they rest in peace. Now he's desperate to balance the scales for all the mangled corpses he's left behind. Um, he's not quite a believer in the Lord of Light. I think that's understating it probably. Despite what he saw in the flames, he still instinctively erupts in brusque hound-like <laughs> where my chickens add annoyance whenever <laughs> Beric or anyone else waxes uh, too pious. Yes. Beric goes... Here we all are, at the edge of the world, at the same moment, heading in the same direction, for the same reason. And Davos says, our reasons aren't your reasons. Not strictly true, nope. but a good line, I guess, that you'd have to put in there because it sounds nice. Yeah. Barrett goes, uh, it doesn't matter what we think our reasons are. Wait, didn't, well, <laughs> there's a greater purpose at work, and we serve it together. Whether we know it or not, we may take the steps. But the Lord of Light and the Hound breaks in, for fuck's sake, will you shut your hole? Are we coming with you or not? The Hound doesn't want to hear this Lord of Light shit. He just wants to get it on, man. They're all just desperate to get out there in the snow. Let's fight! Plenty of desperation and some of the side plots oh, yeah. in Dragonstone as well. It's time to clear the floor. <laughs> I'll take the mic. Take it. Need to chat. Let's ISO, ISO Mal. <laughs> no, I want you here floor. with me. I want you here with me. Just like Jorah would want Danny with him. And oh I think that's, that's part of the point. Let's talk about my man. Let's talk about Danny saying farewell to both John and Jorah. A lot of stuff going on here. 
say this with love. Truly, I do. But Jorah has been desperate for a long time. A long, <laughs> a long fucking time. Time. He. Let's go through the list here. Just some of the highlights. Lowlights, really, actually. Yeah. Not a great, not a great time for Jorah. He sold poachers into slavery because he was so desperate to earn enough money to keep his then wife happy. He fled to Westeros, shaming his house because he wanted to avoid execution for those crimes. His wife left him, by the way. In another land. In another land. With another man. With another man. <laughs> That's a great scene, but a really tough moment. He, again... A knight from a respected house became a sellsword in Essos. He sold secrets to Varys, to the usurper, yeah. in order to try to earn a royal pardon. This was before he really knew that he was going to fall in love with Danny. To be fair, but sure. still. Still a desperate act. Tough. Then, after falling madly in love with Danny, he shirks yes. that offer, that pardon, rebelling against the realm. That had finally welcomed him back so that he could be by Danny's side. Yeah. After Danny learns about that prior betrayal, he kidnaps Tyrion, obviously an important, powerful figure. That's a bold, bold, bold move, and sails through the ruins of old Valeria. Yeah. Extremely it, dangerous. Possibly the first person. This but, is not a thing people do. Right. Successfully. Euron, Euron maybe has done it. No one else. People try and then they never come right. back. Exactly. That is sheer yes. desperation. Sheer desperation. But that's how badly he wanted to get back to her, guys. And then after his initial, all right, well, the slavers caught me and that's obviously terrible. But how can I use this situation to my advantage? After that initial fighting pit ploy failed him and Danny was still hand waving him, he then sold himself back into slavery. <laughs> Went back to that master and yeah. said, put me out there again. Without a thought. So that he'd have a chance, not even just to impress right. her, to get near her, to yeah. be within eyesight and he, breathing distance That's the of thing, her. is he has no illusions of this relationship ever turning into something real. No. He just wants to be close to her. First of all, he got all the way to the Citadel. Which, how? From Essos. <laughs> and then he let Samuel Tarly, an untrained Stranger. He doesn't know this guy. Saw off his skin. All because Jorah wanted to get back to Danny. All of that stems from his love for her, yes, but also from a deep, powerful desperation. And yet, now that he's back, amazing. He's just instantly ready to leave. This makes no sense to either of us. Think about it's bad. Think about this. Think about the context of the events leading up to this moment. Think about his feelings. Yeah. Think about just what happens when they finally see each other again. Their reunion is actually really incredible. The Dothraki come up. Jorah's, he's obscured from view. You know, this man says he's your friend, Khaleesi. And then they reveal him in his new wardrobe. And her face lights up. She really does, does the quivering yeah. eyelid. I'm. Her oh. mouth says, he is my friend. And her face says all sorts of other things. All sorts of other things. Jorah kneels. Your grace. And John's in the background like, who the fuck Who's is this, this dude? I was and just <laughs> starting to make inroads here. Danny introduces them. Jon Snow, this is Sir Jorah Mormont, an old friend. Yeah. And John says, oh, I served with your father. He was a great man. And then Danny just, she's not interested in what John asked. Yeah. Turns back to Jorah. You look strong. Ooh. 
you Ooh. had a cure. You think there's anything in his life he's wanted to hear more than Danny saying, you look strong? There's nothing I've ever wanted to hear in my <laughs> whole life than someone saying sincerely to me that I look strong. <laughs> and then he says, when yeah. she asks if he found a cure, I wouldn't be here if I hadn't. Yeah. I return to your service, my queen, if you'll have me. And her eyes say, oh, I'll have you. I'll have you. <laughs> and her words say, it would be my honor. And they embrace. Uh, she, she knows that he's just carrying an incurable disease, and yet she hugs him. Such is the power of their bond. Uh, certainly all is not forgotten, but in this moment, all is forgiven. She is yeah. welcoming him back into her service. And then, as soon as Tyrion introduces his moronic plan to the room <laughs> Jorah instantly volunteers to leave like yeah. what is what? this all that shit he did to get back to her and of course the other thing you have to remember is that he has already professed his love that's to her that's the thing that gets me it's not a secret that's the she knows that's the real stumbling he block knows, for she me she knows that's the stuff like it listen anyone who's ever had a crush or anything <laughs> on anyone which hopefully is everyone alive the hardest thing to do is admit it to anyone. That's the har- that's the stumbling block. That's the thing because if you speak it into existence now, you have to like acknowledge it and you have to acknowledge it if it's realistic and the whole thing. That's so hard to do. He's done that. Right. She knows. The hard part's over. And she's looking at him like unambiguously, I care about you. Yes. If you tell someone that you love them and they know that and they look at you like that. You're like, well, I'm going to stick around and play this one out. Right? I'm here by your side for That's fucking it. ever. Like, let's just see how long this takes. It doesn't seem like he would ever doesn't do make that. sense, it guys. It does not seem. It, and also he's he's way, 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 way past the point of I guess you could say like maybe he wants to impress her like this. will. Be, he's past that. He's way past impressing. her. She knows what stuff. he can do. Yeah, she knows what he can do when Varys is like, all right, well, how do you propose we find one of these? And George says, with the queen's permission, I'll go north and take one. You asked me to find a yeah. cure so I could serve you. Allow me to serve you. There are so many other ways that he could be doing that while yeah. also being by her side, which is the thing he wants, the thing that he's been fighting for. Like, basically feels like the only way that they could have sold that is if they had recreated essentially what happened with Danny and yes. Dario. Yes. Like, the look on Jorah's face oh. when he comes back from sacking the city and Danny's first question is like, and Dario Naharis? <laughs> Is it's one of the most devastating facial expressions we've ever seen on the show. If they if he had arrived and seen something playing out between right. Danny and John that had given him that right. same okay, this is not. I wanted this. Right. I still want this. It's I'll always painful. want this, but it can never happen, and right. I have to accept it. And I still want to help her, but I can't be near her because right. it hurts too much. Right. Then maybe, but she hugs him. You know, and Tyrion has this moment with Jorah too, where he gives him back the coin and says, "Take it with you. Bring it right. back. Our queen needs you." It basically all but ensures that that won't happen. Anytime right. the show does something like that, it's like they're obviously. I, Desperately hope I'm wrong, but they're setting up Jorah's demise. And when Danny approaches Tough. him and says, we should be better at saying farewell by now. And he says, your grace, I. And then he sees John approaching and cuts himself off and kisses her hand. And then when he's going to push the boat out, he looks back at her and the camera uh, lingers on him looking at her. It just feels like a final farewell. And it feels like that's why they brought them back together so that they could have this farewell. But it's like in doing that, he's making decisions that feel contrary to his character. 100 uh, percent. Bran. In his letter to the realm. It's fair to say that Bran probably should have sent ravens to the realm like five minutes after arriving at Winterfell. Uh, it's not like he didn't know the army of the dead was on the move. I mean, he knows 
in his own words, everything that's ever happened or will happen. He's a three-eyed raven, as he will tell you. Just don't ask him what that means. Bran is not a particularly great communicator these days, okay? Whatever he experienced in his journeys through time and melding his spirit with Hodor and Summer and who knows how many other animals has changed him. Uh, does he know at any given moment where in time he is? We don't actually know that. Warging into a flock of ravens to scout beyond the wall is a measure of Bran's experience and also his desperation. He's getting smarter about how he uses his powers. You know, he paid a dear price for that knowledge. Remember when Bran projected himself through time to go see what the Night King was up to with his army, uh, that was when, that's what allowed the Night King to touch him, thus breaking the magical wards of protected Blood Raven's lair and thus leading to the deaths of the Children of the Forest and Hodor and Summer. R.I.P. Summer. R.I.P. Summer. It was a costly mistake and it's one that Bran isn't going to make again. Using the Ravens eliminates that risk that the Night King might again make contact with his astral form and shatter the wards this time of the wall, imperiling millions of, of people and uh, ostensibly the entire world. Uh, and it also, I mean, my theory is like, you know, just imagine if you could travel through time and you're actually there. It's kind of like Inception, you know, you're, when, you're, when they're going through the multiple levels of the dream. It's hard to know that, are you awake? Are you dreaming? Where are you in time? Right. Um, working into the Ravens lets him know that he is, he's in current time. He's in that place. And, you know, seeing the Army of the Dead shambling towards Eastwatch shakes Bran from his post three eye raven zoned out state and and really awakens him to the desperate reality of this ancient evil it's marching on the realms of men once more not that anybody really believes him yet by the way tough reception for brand's ravens yeah really everybody's tough. like who is this kid what the cripple that everyone thought was dead now he's weird nah i got into the pop brownies yeah how about brand's siblings because there's some fascinating Arya Sansa Littlefinger yeah. action in this episode. Since Bran and Arya came back, he's identified a threat and he's identified the need to remove that threat because he can't be by Sansa's side. He can't have her ear fully if Arya and Bran are. Yeah. It's that simple. And he, like presumably everybody else in this castle who is paying a fucking ounce of attention yeah. can identify the tension brewing between Sansa and Arya. So when Glover and Royce are trashing John out in the open and Sansa says, you know, at least in essence on the surface level, the right thing, John is our king. Right. She is not doing it in a way that Arya finds satisfactory. And Arya calls her out on it. She's basically like, a laundry list of things that she's dissatisfied about with Sansa's behavior at the moment. You're a mom and dad's room. You care too much about nice things. Right. You let the lords insult John. You care too much about their opinions. You're thinking right at this very moment about how you'll need their support if John doesn't return. That is a gross accusation and a really serious thing yeah. for Arya to say to Sansa and pretty fucked up. Yeah. And... It's like what happened to the warm reunion that these right. two shared like literally one episode ago. And I know that p different people interpreted right. that scene differently. That was ambiguous for some people. Right. We yes. thought it was a warm reunion. I, they embraced twice. Twice. Do you embrace twice with someone that you're having a chilly reunion with? I'm a hugger. You, you have to hugger. understand I love a hug. You so I'm not the person to ask. But most people do not. <laughs> most people do not. And the other thing about this that is really troubling is that, well, there are a lot of things, one of the other things is that 
Arya's training as a faceless man has made her skeptical at best and actively distrustful at worst. So, sure, she and Sansa were never close. You can say that. That's fair. Yes, Arya loves Jon. They were always the closest. That's also fair. But Arya accusing Sansa of basically being so power hungry that she wouldn't care if Jon died just does not sit right, period. And it is obviously particularly concerning because of what that exchange sets up. It sets up the idea that Arya actually might turn on Sansa just be based on the scroll that she discovers in Littlefinger's room. Let's think back to the beginning of this show, mm-hmm. to the moment between Rob and Lewin, and then later a yep. similar conversation between Rob and Kat, who are discussing this letter that Cersei forced Sansa to write about what was happening in King's Landing about Ned's quote-unquote treason. They understood, Lewin, Rob, Kat, they understood intuitively, fully, yes. instantly that, Absolutely. sure, yes, it's Sansa's hand, she wrote it, but right. that it was the Queen's words, Cersei's words. Treason. Sansa wrote this. It is your sister's hand, but the Queen's words. You're summoned to King's Landing to swear fealty to the new king. Joffrey puts my father in chains. Now he wants his ass kissed. This is a royal command, my lord. Arya is Sansa's sister. Arya has been trained by fabled assassins to suss out lies and deception. If she is not able to figure out that, A, she is being played, and B, that Sansa had no choice in right. that situation but to write that, then it will be an extreme letdown. Be it tough. will be an extreme it's, letdown, be, and it would feel like a betrayal of very, her arc. Very, very, very tough. She also saw, as you have noted, Littlefinger yeah. with Tywin at Harrenhal in season she, two. She knows, she knows what he's like. Yes. She knows the way he schemes. She doesn't, sure, like she doesn't know as well as Sansa because she hasn't had as much time with him, but she's aware. She's fully aware. So it's like, is she so desperate at this point in her life to spot betrayals, to spot threats that she is mistaking the staged one for the real one? Is that what we're supposed to believe? And then, of course, the flip side of this is what Littlefinger's doing. Like, is he now so desperate to get back in control, to become the puppeteer once again, that he's going to do something that gets himself killed. Like, who is the woman that he's meeting with in the kennels? Is this just one of his little birds whispering, sharing intel? Is something else afoot there? What is going on in the conversation that we we and Arya witness him having with Glover and Royce? By the way, let's not forget, Royce hates him. Right. Hates him. Is only doing what he says because Rob and Aaron were tricked into making him by Littlefinger. These are not natural allies for him. Yeah. That's kind of careless in a way. And it's like he's hoping to dupe Arya. Yes, that's clear. But if she figures out what he's doing, that he's trying to play her and Sansa off each other, which, again, she should be able to figure out, presumably he's toast. He's done. Arya can kill anyone she wants. Hubris. The other level to this is he implicates himself. Like, okay, let's say Arya really does go after Sansa. He's implicated himself in this plot because essentially he's trying to he's making it seem as if he is trying to hide this scroll for Sansa. So his endgame sucks. I just don't get why we're supposed to think that the contents of that letter would be enough. It wouldn't be. I just don't get that. It wouldn't be. Okay. Speaking of letters. Oh, my God. Sam Gilly and the Archmaster's. This is is bad. This is the scene that makes 
it made us, I think, both really angry. Anyway, in an episode full of baffling choices fueled by desperation, what played out in Sam's arc was arguably the least in character and the most. I mean, it was like not in character at all. How did Sam get to the place where he'd mansplained the (laughs) biggest reveal in the show's history? I mean, if that's part of it, like there's multiple levels. This One, Sam is acting out of character. Two, they put a huge reveal and treated it like D-plot, essentially. Essentially, like Sam's frustration has been building. He's telling, uh, he tells Archmaester Ebros early in the season over some weighing of hearts and things, (laughs) how no one is going to, no one ever listens to him. He's talking about the long night, all these dire things. No one listens to him. So tough when no one listens. They're just stopping him from, from gaining the knowledge that he can use to save the world. And he wants... That maester's wisdom, he wants to tap into that vast library and glean insights gained over the centuries. This is all he's ever wanted to do is study, learn, research. But how can he do it if people won't listen to him? And when he hears the maesters discussing uh, Bran's letter, and this it's interesting because perhaps this is a conclave, this meeting of, of archmaesters here. And the general take seems to be like, who is this kid? What? Right. You know, this isn't real. Sam interrupts and he tells them, listen, we got to take Bran seriously. He has somehow survived north of the wall when no one else could. Uh, we've got to listen to him. And he appeals to their sense of duty to the realm. Everyone in Westeros trusts and respects you, he says. If you tell people the threat is real, they'll believe it. If you advise all the lords to send their men north to hold the wall, they'll do it. If you tell every maester in the citadel to search every word of every faded scroll about the long night, they may find something that lets us defeat the army of the dead for good. Ah! Mm-hmm. Here he is arguing for a thing that he is minutes later about to issue. Ebro so says, baffling. and it's just weird. Like, yeah, check all the scrolls. Meanwhile, I'm going to quit the Citadel. Ebro's says he'll check with Wolken, but clearly he's not eager to do so. Right. Uh, and he's like the, the, the warmest to this. Oh, yeah. The rest of them are like, yeah, no, no, no. certainly the most open minded. Of everyone at that table. That's the irony of it. Sam is pissed that no one's listening to what he'll say, but he is doing exactly that to Gilly. Right. When she is helping him in his research, essentially the only person helping him. Yes. This is a person who, what do we know about him? He pays attention better than anyone. He cured Grayscale because he pays attention better than anyone. Read a book. (laughs) And he loves books, loves researching, and now he's... Just going to be like, ah, yeah, whatever you're talking about. It's just, it's really tough. If he had been paying attention like he has been the entire series, he would have heard Gilly drop one of the most essential reveals in the show's history. Gilly, with an assist from Shireen. Shouts to Shireen. Shouts to Shireen. Probably Great the teacher. best human being pound for pound in the show. Um, she says, this high Septon Maynard, he recorded everything. He even recorded his own bowel movements. What does annulment mean? And Sam is like, you know, it's when a man sets aside his lawful wife. Maynard says here that he issued an annulment for a prince, Ragar, and remarried him at the same time in a secret ceremony in Dorne. Is that a common thing in the South? What Sam should have said is, no, it isn't. And Ragar, could you let me see that? In fact... That's an exceptionally rare and thus very interesting thing to do. Um, And as a character whose primary function is to seek knowledge and ask questions and pay attention to every detail so that he can unlock the key to mysteries and serve the greater good, he should have followed up by saying, wait, who? The High Septon? Not just, uh, let me see that thing. Dorn? First of all, if someone's writing something down in a book, it's notable. Mm -hmm. You know, like, what? And who could this mystery bride be? And then 
he might learn that the mystery bride is Leanna Stark, and then he would know that Jon Snow, his best friend in the whole world, is not the bastard he spent his whole life believing himself to be, but rather the Song of Ice and Fire incarnate and the true-born heir to the Iron Throne. He should have picked up on that. And for that scene to hinge on Sam's intransigence and Gilly mispronouncing a word is just really tough. Instead, Sam huffs, looks off to the side, clearly ignoring her. Didn't even really, it doesn't even respond to what she says. No response. And just basically laments on how, you know, he's having a tough time at work. I mean, this is complicated. In the moment watching this, the reveal was thrilling. We were thrilled. We We were we were holding hands and gripping Standing hands. up, running around the room, squeezing each other. This you is, see the word annulment, you hear it, because we have closed captioning on too. Yeah. Right? You see the word, you hear it, and it's like, this is fucking it. This is it. This is what we've been waiting for. This is it. And then when you start to think about it, yeah. the way it was done. It's tough. Doesn't sit right. It's, it was tough. We, also just it stands out in such stark contrast to the Liana reveal in uh, Winds of Winter, which is Literally perfect. It's flawlessly executed. Yeah. It's everything you could ever have dreamed that that would be. You know, this in conjunction with John's moment with with Drogon, where Drogon sniffs him and lets him pet, and the eye rolls back, and it's so cute. Uh, <laughs> is a, it's functionally a massive step forward in the show's mythology, and you've just got to treat it as such. Something the show's done in the past is they didn't half reveal stuff, important stuff like this. You know, it was seasons before they hinted at the R plus L equals J Mm -hmm. stuff. Seasons. Um, And alas, Sam, you know, just, he doesn't give us that. He grabs some random books and quits the Citadel. What? Despite his (laughs) every scroll matters stance from the prior scene, he packs up uh, the carriage, says to Gilly and baby Sam, who should be like, like looking at colleges at this point. Uh, I'm tired of reading about the achievements of better men. What? Hate that. I hated that. What? He's quoting his father? Yeah. Who he literally he hates. hates and who th- was like, I'm going to murder you unless you join the Night's Watch. Are you, what? It's just, that is hard to take. And it's hard to overstate how disappointing this is. We've always wanted Sam to take more action. And it's been so rewarding to watch him shed uh, his self-professed coward skin, become a leader, become confident enough to... Uh, defy the Archmaesters, to defy his father, um, that to see him fall back on the words of someone who really tortured him his entire life is just really tough. And then to turn around and just hand wave and mansplain and essentially like box out the woman that he loves who is helping him in this task, the only person that's helping him, tough. There's just no way Sam Tarley hears that and doesn't ask a follow-up. Yeah, there's, there's just no, no way. way. There's no there's way. No Ragger, like, ra- wait, Ragger in Dorne? She said Prince. Yeah. That's the other thing. Like, you know right away you're talking about someone important. And the word annulment caught his attention yeah. when she first asked what it meant. He would be engaged. He would ask follow-ups. He would solve a mystery. And, like, with the Liana stuff, with the R plus L equals J stuff, there were breadcrumbs. Yeah. There were Easter eggs, but there was never actually a reveal. A full reveal. Handled in this way. This is a confirmation of something, and it was... I mean, the camera's literally not even fully on Gilly as she's saying this. Yeah. It's on Sam's face, ignoring her. You know, shouts to Annie Greenwell because when we were doing Talk of Thrones, which you should watch every Sunday night after the East Coast airing of yeah, Game of Thrones, yeah, on, live on Twitter, uh, he said, he called this an ephemeral moment. He's like, yeah, I really like these ephemeral moments. With, And it was like, actually, that was a groundbreaking moment. That was like an earth-shattering moment. And uh, he might have been talking about, like, the dragon sniffing, but it's it's the same for this. Like, uh, that's a that's an earth shaking moment, and it should have been treated as such. I agree. 
Hey guys, just a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. Binge Mode is brought to you by DirecTV Now. Live stream your favorite channels on virtually any device. Plus, you can subscribe to HBO and start watching Game of Thrones today. And now, back to Binge Mode. Jason. Yeah! One of those better men, Sam, should definitely be sitting in Old Town right now reading about is Rhaegar Targaryen. Sure. Prince Ragger. You might know you might know him as Prince Ragger. Rhaegar Ragger Targaryen. The Mad King's heir, Danny's eldest brother, and we now know, with even more certainty than the deep clarity we have always felt in our bones. That's right. John's father. By marriage. By marriage now. John's legitimate heir. It is hard to overstate the magnitude of this. Revelation, confirmation, whatever you want to call it. We have spent a lot of time in our prior 64 episodes of Binge Mode talking about Rhaegar Targaryen, Lyanna Stark, the events leading up to Robert's Rebellion, the events up to, through, and after what happened at the Tower of Joy, everything in between. But the reason we've spent so much time talking about it is because this shit really, really, really matters to the story. So we're going back. Dust off High Septon Maynard Scrolls. Whichever ones you can... You can yes. reach and can dust at the moment. Just any of them are, are fine. Assemble the conclave. Head to the Citadel and teach us everything we need to know about R plus L equals J and what we learned in this episode. Okay, R plus L equals J. We've covered this in detail in uh Previous episodes of Binge Mode, most completely in the Winds of Winter episode. So um, for complete context and a rundown of everything. So what we've learned is that sometime after Rhaegar kidnapped Lyanna, after the tournament at Hall, somewhere in Dorne, probably the Tower of Joy where she gave birth and died, they were married mm-hmm. after or concurrently with an annulment of Rhaegar's marriage that had produced two children with Elia Martell of Dorne. Now, uh, divorces are super rare in Westeros. Annulments are not as rare. Certainly, having one after you've had two children is like not ideal, like as a, just like as a human moral thing, but uh, it wouldn't be impossible to do, certainly for the crown prince to ask someone to annul this marriage. Uh, this is, it's a patriarchal society. Lords and kings and princes are imbued with terrifying and immense power. It would not be hard to convince a septon to, to do this. But so what does it mean? Well, first of all, it vaults John above Danny in the line of succession. If yes. there are enough people who care about such a thing. Right. Why, why is stuff like this important? It's important because the peaceful transfer of power in a world where like anyone with a big enough army can be like, I want to rule, is it's just important for maintaining stability across the realm. So this is complicated for Danny because Westeros has never had a queen, you know, like Cersei aside, who is really only the queen of like a, the rump state of like, King's Landing and the surrounding areas. Westeros has fought wars over the male line taking precedent over the female line. So there are going to be people who go, well, once this is revealed, who go, oh, well, John has a better claim. Right. He should be the ruler. 
I mean, I guess the immediate solution to this is, why don't you guys just get married? Get hitched, kids. Get hitched. It's like you guys already like each other. The way that Danny was looking at John, dude. he said bye, and she was like, she's looking a lot of guys grown right. used to you. Yeah, she has. When- she was looking at his dragon stones, you know what I mean? John, his ability to shake off like that intense fire look from Danny is fucking impressive. Dude, take 10 minutes he out of your day. He doesn't have time. He's seen the night. I look into his eyes. <laughs> so, I mean, what does this mean? This is going to be something that uh, could potentially drive a wedge between, between Danny and John. Certainly, she's not going to be thrilled to learn this. Right. She is her entire claim on the throne rests on her being the last Targaryen to find out that there's another one legitimate who by all the laws of the land and by wars and by various uh, assemblages of of lords throughout the history of the realm uh, say should be the ruler. It's going to be, it's going to be an issue. Totally. All of that. And there's the... There's the what does it mean in terms of like the letter of the law, the right. social norms, the political norms. And then there's what does it mean to us as readers? Right. Certainly there are show viewers who care yes. about this a lot as well. And one of the questions has always been, whose story is this? Right. Not just in terms of in, on the individual character level, but the houses. Yeah. Is this story about the Starks? Or if everyone's just a Targaryen, right. is this actually just a story about the Targaryens? Right. And one of the things that's so cool about John being the trueborn son of a marriage between those two houses is that it can be about both. Yeah. It can be about ice and fire. And guys, not sure if you've noticed, it's right there in the name. Yeah, it is. John, <laughs> there's always been the idea that John and Danny together could be ice and fire. But John himself yeah. is ice and fire. John is the merging of these worlds, the morphing of these different philosophies and identities. Why does that matter? Because that's where it ties into the mythology. That's right. The last hero, the prince who was promised. All of that. Azor Ahai. John is the chosen one. Right. John is the hero of this story. That doesn't mean that Danny and Tyrion and other people won't have huge roles. But this is John's story. And the Rhaegar connection, the last dragon, the guy who cared so much about prophecy that he thought he was the prince who was promised right. and then thought his own son was. Right. And what steps did he take oh. to maybe protect that exactly. in this case? That stuff's huge. You know, him in Danny's vision in the House of the Undying and in, in, in the books. In the books, talking Chills. about Aegon yes. in the text at that moment. But like again, this is one of the things about George, the way we interpret prophecies, what is strictly the letter of what we're reading and what right. is a little more open. We've talked about this on past episodes, but the idea that Rhaegar could have been right and wrong. Right. That his son could be the prophetic prince, but right. maybe not the one he initially thought. And again, maybe he did think it was John. Maybe yeah. that's why members of the Kingsguard are at yep. the Tower of Joy instead Huge. of out fighting a war. Right. This is kind of everything. This yeah. is the entire point of the story. And so again, for it to be basically a tangent tough. in a comedic moment, is really hard. And I, I look, I think we will still get the full thing. I think yes. probably we get a brand vision yeah. of the wedding. Yeah. And I'm sure that will be beautiful and I'm sure we'll be sobbing and that it will have all the emotional weight that we wanted to have. But this didn't. Yeah, it didn't. And that's tough. It was tough. Maester. Yeah. All I want. All I want, other than for the Rhaegar reveal to have been better, <laughs> is 
to destroy the wheel that has rolled over rich and poor. The benefit of no one but the Cersei Lannisters of the world. And of course, to share some of our favorite nuggets from this episode. So let's head to the Sept and bathe in the light of the Seven by sharing seven of our favorite insights and observations and questions. Questions. A lot of questions. From this episode, Lightning Round Style, you go first. Uh, as Sam is packing up to leave the Maesters, there's some interesting chatter. Yes. Uh, one of them says, Brings to mind the work of Jenny of Oldstone, the charlatan who claimed to descend from the children of the forest. Another one says, Don't forget the prophet Lodos, who promised that the drowned god would rise up and destroy Aegon the Conqueror. And they all laugh, but these are, are, are these hints or are they warnings to us? Jenny of the Oldstones, by the way, a very interesting character is mentioned in the book. She's the wife of um, the so-called Prince of Dragonflies, Duncan Targaryen. And uh, she was a strange character, and he essentially loved her so much that he broke his betrothal to marry her, and they became like a like a Romeo and Juliet type of uh, characters within the realm. Lots of songs written about them. Beautiful stuff. Beautiful stuff. What could it mean? Do you think these are warnings? Do you think these are hints? <sighs> I think it's. I. I think the, the prophet second Lodos. One, yeah, I think the prophet. I think the the second one is a hint, just to say, hey. We remember that Euron, Euron is a exists. guy. He's coming back. Yeah. Um, and I think the first one is just to say, hey, we read the books too. And also maybe, maybe just to remind us about the children of the forest yeah. as John is about to head north. That'd be great if they're We'd still love for around. him to find them. Yeah. Number two. Last hero. Last hero. I have a question. Yeah. Why? <laughs> I don't know how to ask this in a way that isn't like extremely rude. Sure. Why don't the characters on this show know basic facts anymore? Like, it's one thing when we're like, oh, why isn't anyone asking John why he's not in the Night's Watch anymore? What happened there? Why isn't anyone following up on the knife in the heart thing? Though, refreshingly, Danny yes. finally did in this episode. Yeah. She she pushed. She didn't get anywhere, but she pushed. But Tyrion not knowing basically what's happened in the war is just, I don't understand that, and I can't accept that. When he is trying to appeal to Randall and Dickon... Dickon to bend the knee. He's specifically speaking to Dickon at this moment because Randall is already like, nah. Right. Tyrion turns to Dickon and says, you are the future of your house. Fancy dick. Fancy dick. This war has already wiped one great house from the world. Don't let it happen again. Bend the knee. And I'm just like, it took me out of it so much because it's like one great house. What? Tyrell's? Yes. You ever heard of the Baratheons, guys? Gone. They were only the rulers of the realm. How about where? How many Martells are out there right, right now in the show? Yep. This isn't the book. On the show, yep. what's up with the Martells? And I'm not sure we'd call the Boltons a great house, but well, they're gone. Well, here's the thing. They uh, were the Wardens of the North at that Tyrell, moment. Tyrell, Wardens of the South, Baratheons, Lord, High Lords of the Stormlands, the Martells, High Lords of Dorne, actually to like compare the Tarleys to the Tyrells is and the Baratheons and the Martells is kind of a slight on them because right. they they were sworn to the Tyrells. So the Boltons, I put the Boltons up sure. there certainly because they're a major. They had Winterfell at that moment. They're, they're a major the and the they were major house sworn to the stars. I mean, you might as well compare them to the phrase and, and put the phrase on that level. Like if you're going right. to say it like this, where are the phrase? Yeah. So that's a lot of houses. That's is a the lot point. of houses. What is he talking about? I don't understand that. That's yeah. weird. Why are why are things like that happening right now? Stuff. Number three is Cersei's baby definitely Jamie's. Uh, oh boy! Man. Oh boy! And she says, uh, "We have to fight her, meaning Danny, like father would have dead men, dragons, and dragon queens. Whatever stands in our way, we will defeat it for ourselves. 
for our house for this. She touches her belly and the face Jamie makes is like agonizing. Really incredible acting. Just amazing. Like it's fraught with hope and pain and also just an ache. Who will you say the father is? And she says, you. People won't like that. Do you remember what father used to say about people? The lion does not concern himself with the opinions of sheep. Tywin said this to Jamie back in season one. So this just echoes of Tywin every time these two are together. They kiss. And as they embrace her, she says, never betray me again. Here's the thing. Um, you know, Maggie the Frog predicted a certain amount of children. Yep. This is one extra. Mm-hmm. And sure we've is. been wondering, like, what a thing that would turn Jamie against Cersei is. We've also been wondering where Euron is. Yep. What happens if it is? is. What happens then, guys? Also, some people have floated the possibility, we talked about this on Talk of Thrones, that she's just lying. I don't think that's the case. To attempt to manipulate Jamie into full loyalty? No, I don't think that's the case. He would would do what she says anyway. I don't think she needs to go to this level, have Kyburn wait there and be like, yeah, wait here, Jamie's going to come in and act like I'm pregnant. Cersei carrying someone else's child would be a cool way actually of bringing like the kettle black thread back right. into the show. That's kettle obviously blacks. not exactly right. what happened, but Jamie learning about her dalliances with other men right. in the books, it's not the same as being married to no. Robert, right? That was, she was in a marriage with the king. Right. That, that was what it was. Jamie couldn't do anything about that, but to find out that she was having relations with other men crushed him. Yeah. Crushed Destroyed him. him. And they kind of have to replicate that on the yeah. show at some point. There's no other way to turn him against her. No, it doesn't seem... If her burning the city... Didn't do it. Didn't do it. The death of their children. This is the only thing that can. Certainly if it's his baby, that's a complication for the Valencar theory. Quite. That would be tough. (laughs) Number four. Well, I should say again, also, it's a weird quandary because if it is his... This blows up her deal with Euron. Right. And she's just like, I'm going to tell people it's yours. Right. So... Euron's not going to react to that weird. It's a weird thing. I guess that could be an interesting thing to do, though, because... They have to do something with Euron. Right. It was never going to work out with Cersei and Euron. <laughs> it was never like, going to be a good something match. Something was going to go wrong there for some reason. Yeah. So one of them had to turn. And yeah. certainly Euron basically being a rogue again would yeah. actually be, I think, refreshing. Because that's sort of how he should, should be acting. Number four. What do we make mm. of the way the ravens that Bran was controlling scattered the second the Night King looked yeah. up at them? That was a cool moment. It was a cool moment. Is this is this just intended to basically reinforce the connection between Bran and the Night King, that that still exists, that what happened in Bran's memory under the cave with Bran being marked, that that connection still lingers in some way? Or is there something even more real and palpable about that magic and that bond that could have actual ramifications for what the Night King is able to do because of where Bran is or how he's behaving at a given moment? What was your read on that? It's a great question. Um, I think it's, you know, I, I see Bran as kind of like, all due respect to John, kind of the role of the three-eyed raven is the general in this war. Mm-hmm. Um, and it should not, I guess, surprise anyone that the Night King would sense that he was being watched in that particular way and it also i think strongly suggests that he's has an ability to disrupt warging so what does that mean right that's not good it's not good that's bad it's bad that makes me really fucking nervous yeah. for next episode super nervous oh my god uh many are asking if sam can inherit horn hill and so what does this mean Letter of the law, no. Right. He's, 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 a Night's Watch. he's a sworn brother of the Night's Watch. He can't get out no, of that. No one cares about that anymore. No, <laughs> no one's asking John. No one's asking John what he happened. He can just stop doing it. 
But the thing is, like, you can stop doing it if you're like the son of a tanner from bumfuck nowhere Westeros. He is Sam Tarly, firstborn son of Randall Tarly. Like, people will be like, wait, didn't you? You went to the Night's Watch, right? So, yeah, I mean, strictly by the letter of the law, no, he can't inherit it. Um, could a king or queen uh, absolve him of his vows? We haven't seen that, but you presume it could happen, but it's just, there's nothing in the histories that say that that can be done. Sam, it's, but Sam it, knows a king. It's a revolutionary time, though. <laughs> it is. I also felt like it was kind of a cheat to not have Ebros tell Sam yeah. that his father and brother had perished because then Sam would feel compelled to go home and Listen, visit his mother and sister, and now he doesn't have to do that. The other thing is, like, what, no one talks? Like, you're right. in the Citadel where thousands, presumably, of ravens come every fucking day. Every day. You're at the nerve center of the continent, and nobody is like, hey, did you hear uh, Randall Tarley at Dickon got right. roasted? He would he, he would know. Sam Sam is in the general slack. Yeah, he would Citadel. not need Ebros to tell him. <laughs> he doesn't need a DM. Yeah. Number six. Little Sansa nugget here. Mm. Little quiet little moment here that I actually kind of missed when it first happened because <laughs> I was freaking out about something that had just happened and Jason was trying to calm me down. Yeah. I warned John this would happen, Sansa says to Arya that he couldn't leave the North and expect them to sit and wait for him like ghosts. Right. Little wink to the audience. They know, the show knows that people are out here like, where is Ghost? When is Ghost coming back into the story? And I don't know how I feel about this line. Because like on the one hand, I'm like, great. They remember Ghosts exist. That's great. It makes me feel like Ghost is alive and is in Winterfell, which is refreshing. But I don't like sort of the meta right like haha we acknowledge this character so now we don't have to bring him back yeah people also keep tweeting i mean i appreciate these guys it's it's calming and soothing but the (laughs) you should be happy because ghost can't die if he isn't on screen thing is like i don't take a lot of comfort in that because ghost is just is an important character in the story and should be should be should be with john and also if they do kill him perish the fucking thought but if they do it's gonna he'll just come back to die yeah it's like, it feels like what's happening with Jorah right, right. now. Or and Danny. Danny, like there's this moment that we're getting and just so it can be taken away from right. us. And that feels like a little cheap. It's a little cruel. It hurts. It yeah, hurts. It hurt. And number seven, um, you know, we like, the, the internet is a dangerous place, so you should be careful out there if you're trying to avoid spoilers. Um, but occasionally, you know, this is like a culture that rewards theorizing and occasionally a really good one comes up. Yes. Um, there's one that came to our attention. Sean, you brought it to our attention. Shouts to Sean on Reddit called legit Azor high theory. That makes sense. I'm not going to try and give you the short version, but you should look it up because it's really good and it's very interesting. And it has a, the metaphor for Nissa Nissa and the sword and the tempering of the sword. That's uh, the integral part of the Azor high prince that was promised legend um, is spun out in this theory in a really compelling way that we think is really interesting. Love it. Yeah. I loved it. I loved it too. Really cool. Look it up, yeah. guys. Dive into, dive into the Dive into the world, but be theories. careful. Yeah, be careful out there. It's scary out there. This it week. is. Well, Mal, <laughs> how many queens are there now? Uh, two. Two. And you need to convince the one with the dragons and the one who fucks her brother. <sighs> Both. Well... <laughs> Each episode, we're going to honor the person who played the game and advance his or her cause in some tangible way. And this week, the winner of our champion's purse is facing that very queen-convincing quandary. It's Johnny Snow! Johnny Targaryen! It is John Targaryen, or Jaehaerys Targaryen, perhaps? Oh, do you believe it? I don't know. Are you I into s- that? I think, I, I, I'm coming around. 
I like it. It wouldn't make any material difference to me, but I think it's like a cool detail that yeah. I hope is real. His name is Jaharis. So is that what Liana whispered? That's the question. Did Bran yeah. hear Liana whisper John's true intended yeah. name to Ned? Yeah. Back in the Tower of Joy. Will we learn this soon? And we've got so many great moments. There's Danny landing uh, Drogon in front of John, and then John reacting in a way that no one reacts. People, no one. everyone. When you land a dragon in, in front of somebody, people are terrified. And John is scared, sure. But he reaches out to touch yes. Drogon. And Drogon is like inhaling his Loves aura. Mm. Absolutely is like, mm, you smell good. And then when he touches Drogon's scaly cheek, very gently, really, Drogon's eye rolls back in a way that perhaps suggests Warging the the warging bond. There's oh just God. a lot going on there. And by the way, oh, I love that. Danny, ask a follow up. Yeah, this is the thing. Danny's up there, and they they cut back to her face several times as she's like, she's Wait, like "There's my baby daddy. Man, what's going on down there?" <laughs> well, she's puzzled, and also like, "I'll fuck this guy." <laughs> she's puzzled by like the, what's going on between Drogon and John, and then she comes down off the dragon. And, and does it? Yeah, she's just like beautiful, huh? It doesn't even talk about it. Like, imagine Not, you. What happened? There? Listen, if you go to someone's house and their dog slash cat slash pet is like, "Wow, I love this guy," that person is going to go, "Holy shit!" My like never does that. My pet loves you. Now, he usually burns people, but yeah. he let you rub his nose. And also, like sidebar, Danny looks great in this scene. She looks incredible. So like, does John. He looks, and so do you, Drogon. <laughs> I have a quick question for you. A quick yeah. sidebar here about this sure. before we go on to what other reasons. Is, is John it this? Won. Is this, this bullet point? Danny eye fucks. <laughs> I listen. <laughs> only have so much time I to know. jot down notes. I, I knew it. you'd know what I meant. I, I do. <laughs> the warging thing is extremely interesting for a couple different yeah. reasons. On the one hand, on the maybe why that's not it thing. In theory, Drogon has bonded with Danny, and that's right. it. Like until Danny dies. Right. And then a dragon will accept another rider. Right. But not he's he's that's it's Danny yeah, and Drogon and that's, that's it. That's it. They're paired. So in theory, Drogon wouldn't be the one who would be that receptive. Obviously, we're this is a, you're the blood of the dragon and right. I sniff you and I rec you know, I recognize you. That's great. But I'm okay with the show making this change yeah, me too. if it indicates that John has Same. an actual full warg or warg light bond with these beasts because here's my question will john be able to call the dragons in the next episode dun 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 will drogon or hopefully i mean Rhaegal would be the one Rhaegal is named after john's father oh that should be the dragon gosh. john rides right will they sense his need yeah i really want that to happen me too oh my god i want i want a mirror an a icy mirror of drogon's rescue of danny at the fighting pits Can you imagine yeah, that's all I think about. <laughs> Some other reasons John won. He found out that Bran and Arya are alive. Don't you just want him to go to Winterfell and say hi? He, and get like, ghost. Why doesn't he why didn't he go there first and then go to Eastwatch? It only takes seven minutes to get anywhere. So I I, he can spare the time. He's got the time. <laughs> Certainly knowing that his family is way more intact than he realized is right. a pretty cool thing for him. Obviously, he's tortured by it because he's not there and he knows that they're in danger 100%. now. So that's really tough. But it's a great moment with Danny's like happy for you. And he's and he's you don't look happy cuz he's like frowning as he is always fr like brooding. when does he, when does he look happy? Brooding. This She's been giving him fuck eyes and he still is like <laughs> does not look happy. He's focused. There's no time for it. 
Jason, he's seen the Night King. It's looking through his eyes. <laughs> the fact that the plan is stupid, the fact that what they're doing is inherently flawed and dumb and puzzling yeah. does not ultimately detract from the fact that John is achieving something yeah, here. Yeah, it really is. John got a bunch of dudes to go through the wall with him to face the army of the dead. It's literally the thing he's been trying to do this entire time. Yes. And look, is it the entire united army of the realm? No, but it's a few people who really count and really matter who are willing to go on this journey with point. him. That's huge. John is, everyone's got setbacks. Everyone has setbacks this season. A lot of L's all around. This is John making a monumental amount of progress in, in rec- realizing his goal. And sure, it's happening in a way where the specifics leave us scratching our heads, but what it represents is really massive. It's true. One demerit. John, Tywin would be really disappointed with yeah. John because John did the, I'm a king. Right. You know, when Danny's like, I haven't dismissed you. You're, with respect, your grace, I am a king. And Tywin, you know, famously said, any, any king who right. needs to, to say, I am a king. Is no true king. No true king. Tough look for Johnny boy. Tough look. Ultimately, we learned something huge about John's parentage. John had an incredible moment with a dragon. Danny, I fucked John the whole episode. So and hard. In an episode where every single character pretty much made biz- somewhere between bizarre and indefensible choices, John forwarded his Shots to John. agenda. Shots to John. All right, guys. Yeah. You look strong. Ooh. Like you found a cure. I would not be here <laughs> if I had not. We hope that you had as much fun as we did today and that you will join us again next week when we will be discussing season seven, episode six, Beyond the wall, it promises to be a doozy. Yeah. I'm extremely nervous. I'm really worried about how many people we're going to lose and terrible things happening. I'm just really tortured and agonized and I'm here for you. Living in fear and also living in fear of spoilers. Uh, I wish you good fortune in the spoiler wars to come. come. (laughs) Guys. A lot of great Game of Thrones coverage here at The Ringer. Obviously, watch Talk the Thrones live on Sunday nights on Twitter after the East Coast airing of Game of Thrones. We're there. Sixers fan Chris Ryan is there. Yeah. Fan of Quiet Moments, Andy Greenwald is there. Loves those quiet we moments. have a great time. Obviously, listen to Andy and Chris on The Watch on Mondays where they go deep again on the latest Thrones episode. Read Jason's Ask the Maester column. It's the best thing on the internet every week. Oh my God. It's amazing. Watch Jason's Ask the Maester live. And participate. Ask him questions. Yeah, please. Milton will be there. Milton will be there. He'll be there. Love Milton. Yeah. Sir Milton. Read the staff precap. Yes. Read read Allison Herman's expert analysis of the episodes. Read everything that everyone at The Ringer is doing. We love Game of Thrones. And guys, there are only two left. So let's really go all in here while we can. Join us next time. And until then, remember, nothing fucks you harder than time. Well, Danny's eyes, maybe. What is the long nigget and the wit walkers? I, Gilead. Something hard day about, at work. Something about the last harrow and the children of the forest. And no, I, no one's answering my Gmails. They defeated uh, the, the wicked walkers. I marked them as important. No. 
There's a red exclamation point right mean? in your inbox. What is this drawing of a of a icy man? You can't reply. Being killed by fairies and men. I called you on your direct line in your office. <laughs> 